Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about things that 401k plan sponsors forget to do, but kind of need to do, but they never do anyway, and some suggestions on, on what to do in the future and whatnot, especially with law changes and, and coming up. Um, of course, first things first, that 401ksite.com for further information uh, on what we're doing, posts and all that stuff. Um, if you find it, get the email March, uh, May, uh, May 17th. That's a Wednesday. Uh, that 4K virtual bunch returns, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Free to be a part of a special webinar, uh, our retirement roundtable. Uh, a really good um, part of that 4K National Virtual Conference back in January is we did a retirement plan roundtable, kind of like a Bill Maher thing, um, a little bit different than, you know, some of the things you see, um, you know, different from the retireholics, whatnot, uh, they, which, you know, they do a fantastic job. I know they're doing it biweekly now. Uh, but, you know, retirement plan roundtable, it's going to be a rotating roundtable. I mean, there are going to be certain people we're going to keep on. But we had Bill Shorey's on, James Holland. Mike Webb, um, really good, fun discussion, uh, and of course I was the moderator, so that means that uh, I had to uh, inject a lot less and interrupt a lot less, which, you know, sometimes I, I have to watch what I do because I interrupt a lot, but uh, it should, should be a monthly thing, hopefully, and we'll bring other people on over time, but uh, <coughs> yeah, a lot of people signed up for it, so I, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, as far as uh, things that 401k plan sponsors forget to do but need to do, you know, people procrastinate. I procrastinate a lot. Um, nothing gets, you know, I have certain things I have to do every week, you know, write an article every week, and that gets a little hectic. But, you know, people do procrastinate, and I know as someone who does procrastinate a lot, um, I, I always joke that... Um, I was probably the last person who ever got a highly de high definition TV. Um, I remember my kids when they were born and they were watching Sesame Street. So I, I want to say the, the first time I got a, a, a TV um, that was high definition might have been like you know something like crazy in like 2010. It was always interesting because you know the costs were pretty high and I was under the impression, and rightfully so, that plasma TV was not going to be the standard. I was w I was waiting for LCD to catch up, and the costs would be a lot less. I was always concerned with burnout, uh, with plasma, if you put it a separate way. But I do re remember getting married in uh, around 03, and... Uh, my wife and I were getting a, we needed a TV for the apartment in Forest Hills. And we got like a 27-inch analog TV. Now, I don't know if you remember it, but a 27-inch analog TV was heavy as heck. You know, you have a 47, I have a 47-inch TV downstairs, LCD. You know, it's probably one of the old ones because I, I haven't gone to UHD or whatever the heck the, uh, the norm is, but. You know, a 47-inch TV that's LCD is weighs a lot less than a 27-inch. So I remember we bought it at Costco, and it could fit in our back seat uh, of um, a, at 2003. It must have been the Nissan Maxima. 
So I actually had to remove the TV out of the box, and it was heavy as heck. And it wasn't fun and whatnot, but, uh, you know, speaking of procrastination, what I was never, you know, somebody once tested me for uh, ADHD, and it turns out I wasn't because I just picked and choose what I would focus on. So if I was interested in something, I would focus on it, and I didn't have ADHD and the things I didn't want to do. Well, I was probably like cleaning up around the house or something like that. But when it comes to procrastination, I took three state different three different state bar exams: New York, Massachusetts, California. Proud to say, I passed all three times. At no point did I ever study the day before. Um, I remember traveling to California the day before the exam, and flying in. If you you taken if you're studying the day before, you're dead. That's how I always thought it. But uh, Land sponsors do procrastinate. There are obviously things that they forget to do. And, you know, uh, I think number one on the list is obviously plant sponsors just don't review their plant providers for competence and cost. Um, recently, um, I had a change of dentist that I've been going to for like the last eight or nine years. Uh, she was a fantastic dentist. The problem, she was out of network for our, for, for uh, our insurance, our insurance kept on changing. My wife was keep on changing jobs, so the insurance changed. But there was never an insurance that she was in network. Uh, I think that's the practice. She wanted to make more money, so she was out of network for all these different insurance companies, Aetna, or, you know, some of the other ones. And my wife just was tired of paying out of pocket. Um, you know, I don't have dental issues. I've had one cavity all my life. Uh, my daughter, on the other hand, um, thinks she lives with Willy Wonka uh, in terms of cavities. So, you know, she goes to the dentist, she'll, you know, have dental checkup, she'll have more cavities in one sitting than I've ever had in my entire life. So, uh, we set up four dental appointments. I go to the dentist, uh, I'm the first victim, and right off the bat, I just don't like them. Why? Because I don't have any dental problems. And all of a sudden, the hygienist is trying to sell me on some anti-cavity uh, system, deep cleaning, and blah, 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 blah. And with insurance, I still think it was out of pocket, 2000 bucks. And, uh, you know, I don't like that. I don't like to be uh, upsold. Uh, you know, this is not a car dealership where they're trying to sell me on etched glass. Or some other nonsense or undercoating that I don't need. Um, and you don't know this kind of stuff. Uh, it's a, Obviously, it's a popular dentist practice. I think they have multiple offices. It's one of those, you know, gimmicks. And, you know, the, the thing with plant sponsors, they don't know what they're going through. They don't know what they're dealing with as long as they're still with the same provider. And you don't know until you see another provider. Um, as someone who works with small, medium-sized plant sponsors, I will attest to the fact that very few plant sponsors bother to review their plan, uh, their plan providers, and they certainly don't look at costs. Uh, you know, I, I just had one of my plant sponsors, you know, a, a client of mine for like the last 15 years, they asked me about costs. Um, they were gauging what other providers, you know, charged. They love their TPA. They don't want to change, but they still wanted to be fiduciary and obviously hire somebody based on cost. 
And, um, you know, obviously a plant sponsor has a fiduciary duty to hire effective plant providers and only, you know, pay reasonable expenses for the service provided. So, you know, um, it's always a big problem with plant sponsors who don't review their TPAs and whatnot. And, uh, you know, they get that little surprise on a plant audit that, you know, the ADP test was done incorrectly and they're, you know, that was a couple years ago. So they got to make a QNIC. I've had that plant sponsor has to take out a huge checkbook. We, we don't like that. Uh, you know, and then of course, the problem with cost, obviously we have fee disclosure regulations. Plant sponsors get that fee disclosure and they throw in the garbage like it's, like it's nothing. You don't know how badly you're charged until you see what other people in the industry charge. So I think it's important for plant sponsors to do that. Uh, and, uh, you know, Changing a provider just because of cost to save a couple of nickels just doesn't work out. I have a, very, I, I have a, a good relationship with a TPA up here in Long Island, very good shop, and they're not cheap. Um, and you know, the head of the the head of the practice, uh, the guy who owns the business for the last thirty years, he'll, he'll tell me, you know, Ari, uh, you know, I have a, I've had plant sponsors who fire me to go to a payroll provider, and then they come with their tail back and, you know, realize that they made a huge huge mistake. So it happens. And, um, you know, obviously plant sponsors just don't really do that. Next, in terms of procrastination and things I think the plant sponsors need to do is adding a Roth 401k contribution. Um, more so now because of what's going to happen with the change in law. In 97, the Internal Revenue Code added Roth IRAs uh, to be effective in 98. I only remember that because... That law passed right before I started my tax LLM program at Boston University, that final year of education. Um, the 26th and final, uh, no, I'm sorry, 26th, what am I talking about? 1976 to 1998, I'm sorry, it was the 22nd year straight of education, and um, that's how I remember it. And then I started my I started working as a nurse attorney in '98, and in 2001, uh, the Internal Revenue Code was changed again to add Roth 401k uh, option, which was going to be effective in 2006. Now, I was always a big fan of it, big fan of Roth uh, IRA. Uh, I have one; I've had one since '98. Um, I've had to, you know, in times of calamity, I had to invade money out of that. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. And I like the opportunity for giving plant participants to defer some or all of their contributions on an after-tax basis. I always jokingly say for the five people that can afford it because, you know, that tax deduction for deferrals is a big deal for a lot of people, especially in the New York area who are making above or below that HC limit. It's very, very costly. But obviously if you're a real big HCE, and you can afford such things. It's a terrific opportunity, especially if you're pushed out of the um, compliments to, you know, be part of a Roth IRA on your own. But uh, I always like giving people the opportunity to defer, make the, have them make the choice. Um, it's really a payroll function more than anything else. Payroll and record keeping function doesn't affect the ADP test whatsoever. It's the same as any other deferral. And uh, there are. You know, there are still some plan sponsors that don't offer the Roth feature. I remember the beginning. 
2002 on, a lot of plant sponsors just won't offer it. Well, more and more over time did. You know, it's a, it's a chance. It's an opportunity. But now more so, I think that it's, it's I don't even think you should have a choice. I think you should offer it. The reason why is because thanks to Security 2.0, today, uh, if you wanted to allow it, uh, I'd still wait until some guidance, but, you know, plant sponsors can offer employer contributions on a Roth basis. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, if you have a match, profit sharing, and if the plant participant wants to pay the taxes up front, those contributions can, you know, earn tax-free. Uh, earnings are, would be tax-free and whatnot. Participant takes it out. Uh, I, I think it's a fantastic thing. Again, it's for the five people that can afford it. Um, the RMDs in 2024 are going bye-bye for Roth contributions, so that's a great another tax planning thing for HCEs who plan on working past the, you know, 72, 75 limit. 72 now, it's going to be 75 eventually. And, uh, you know, those who actually retire, they could, they could you know, those non-HC, those non-5% owners who retire, they can do it as well. And, uh, of course, the biggest crux, the biggest change of it, uh, in order to pay for all the secure to a point oh, so basically when we do tax cuts, uh, when we change the retirement plan law, we have kind of like tax cuts, essentially, there's got to be revenue producers. And one of the biggest revenue producers will be that if you are an HCE starting in 2024, um, they will have to Rothify their catch-up contributions. So they will have to pay taxes on catch-up. So that's why a Roth 401k feature is going to be necessary unless you don't want to offer people the opportunity to catch up. Uh, I think it's a big deal. I think it's going to have a chilling effect on um, catch-up contributions, in my opinion. Uh, so there's absolutely no reason why plan sponsors shouldn't offer. Next on my list, having a formal 401k committee and actually using it. I'll be honest, uh, I'm very torn about committees because outside of the 401k plan space, I've never seen a committee actually work. Um, I remember at synagogue, uh, I had a membership committee. I think I had one meeting. Um, I think my wife was in the finance committee. She had like two meetings. When I was invited to be part of the Alumni Association for my uh, school paper, the Stony Brook Statesman, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, my buddy put me on the fundraising committee because I, I know a thing or two about fundraising and, and whatnot, especially from my time in synagogue. The problem was we were talking about, uh, so I, it was a committee of three. I was an attorney not a journalist, and I'm sitting down with two people who are real journalists. I was just a student journalist. Um, and we're talking about fundraising, and I talked about, oh, you know, it'd be great to get like a Statesman t-shirt, sell those, and that's a great fundraising tool. And they spent the entire committee meeting about unrelated business income tax. Now, unrelated business tax, I'm sorry, uh, UBT. And the problem... It's not for profit organizations, you know, have restrictions on, on you know, business income uh, that's unrelated to their purpose. So years ago, um, I worked at, you know, law firm and we had a state union 
that was in the business of, um, you know, offering insurance programs and whatnot and uh, other stuff outside of that. Now, if you are a not-for-profit, you can use your logo and, and make, you know, royal, get royalty payments and whatever. There's certain things that are not unrelated business tax. So, like, for example, if the Stony Brook Statesman wanted to sell T-shirts with their logo on it, that's not unrelated business tax. But if they wanted to open up a pizzeria to compete with uh, a pizza place across, I don't know, I don't even know if Station Pizza is still a thing over there at Stony Brook. Um... It was a pizzeria that, you know, threw so much cheese on their pizza. There was no point in ordering extra cheese. But anyway, if they wanted to open up, Sunnybrook States and wanted to open up a restaurant across the street, that would be unrelated business tax. Uh, the reason why is because we didn't want, you know, the IRS doesn't want not-for-profits to go into business um, and compete against for-profit businesses. It's not fair. So that's why we have unrelated business tax, and we avoid it because we could lose our exemptions and not-for-profit. So anyway... Sitting at the committee meeting, and these guys are trying to tell me, asking, you know, trying to say we might have an unrelated business tax issue with selling logos on T-shirts. And I'm like telling them, you know what? I'm an attorney. I've worked in this situation, and I know the law, and it's not the case. And needless to say, after an hour, I mean, it was a waste of time. We never had another committee meeting whatsoever. That doesn't mean a 401k plan should not have a committee. 401k plan needs to have a process in place to make fundamental and important decisions and obviously um, they need a committee they need kind of some kind of structure and process uh, in place uh, as to uh, why they need to you know wh why they need to uh, why they made the decisions and, and all that kind of stuff and there needs to be an actual committee and unlike the fundraising committee for the Stanford statesman it's got to be done. Uh, it's got to be, you have to hold meetings. You have to have minutes. Uh, a breach of fiduciary duty to me is having a committee process and a bylaws and all that, and never having committee meetings. Um, you know, you got to keep records. You got to keep minutes of meetings, see why decisions were made and what's the backup for it and all that kind of stuff. Last but not least, holding enrollment and education meetings. Um, you know, I. I always talk about, you know, a former employer of mine, a certain law firm that, you know, didn't have um, advisor on the plan for 10 years, didn't review funds for 10 years, and gave us a bunch of Morningstar profiles and uh, didn't have enrollment education meetings. And I told the person running the plan, well, you know, you might be liable for any losses that participants uh, lose as a result of their own direction, which defeats the whole purpose of ERISA 404C. You know, ERISA 404C is one of those interesting tidbits uh, in the sense that I think people have such a misconception about it. You can uh, exempt yourself from liability for allowing participant direction as long as you do a couple things, which is allow for participant you know, education, enrollment meetings. Basically, ERISA 404C requires um, you, know, you have to provide enough information for player participants to make informed investment uh, decisions. And after that, you know, you'd be li you would not be liable for any losses sustained by them. That's how it goes. That's how it is. And uh, it's just amazing sometimes how plan sponsors don't know and don't realize it. So that's why uh, it's extremely important that um, enrollment education meetings are um, are held. I mean, it's like a dental appointment. Uh, people like to push those off. 
Uh, for me, it's the eye doctor appointment. I Oh my God, that's the worst thing for me. I hate going to the eye doctor. And uh, I would always cheat in the sense that I'd go to the local Costco and uh, the guy there, the eye doctor there, never performed any of those tests. Uh, and so my wife was just on my case for months and months and months to go to the local, like, real eye doctor where they, you know, uh, you know, put drops in your eyes and all that stuff. And I'm the type of guy who, you flash a light in front of me, I'm going to cry. My eyes are going to tear up. I'm very, very sensitive to the light. And um, I eventually... Did uh, I just did an eye exam a, a couple weeks back? Uh, everything's fine. They did put uh, drops in my eyes. They were very, very patient with me. Don't have glaucoma and cataracts and macular degeneration, all that kind of stuff. So got that going for me. But uh, you know, it, it's you can't push it off. And so many plant sponsors do push off the enrollment education meeting. They don't want to waste their time. They think it's a waste of time. It's not. So um, it, it really needs to be done, and they should stop procrastinating and whatnot. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of that 4K podcast. Tune in next week for another episode, and uh, we'll uh, be back next week. Thanks. Bye.